This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Amazon Web Services. On this episode, I chat with Sven Al-Hamad about building serverless applications using Webany. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 57. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm speaking with Sven Alhamad. Hey, Sven, thanks for joining me. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you are the uh, CEO and co-founder of Webany. So, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what Webany is? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, in terms of my background, I'm a developer. Uh, I started maybe 20 years ago, even more coding websites and many other stuff along the way, but uh, also worked in the enterprise world for several years and uh, decided to start Webany about a year and a half ago, maybe two years back. Uh, but now I'm more focused on the business side. And uh, what Webany is, it's essentially an open source framework for building full stack applications that de deploy to serverless infrastructure like AWS Lambda and similar. So it's all about creating serverless solutions. Awesome. All right, so that's what I want to talk to you about, obviously, the Webany platform, what you can do with it. Um, and I'd like to start by kind of going through um, more of the details, right? Because I think that's, you know, I think we get confused with, you know, maybe what a CMS is versus what a application platform is versus, you know, uh, what a cloud provider is. I mean, so I think it get, can get very confusing if you're not, you know, if you don't dive deep into the docs. And even I was looking at the Webany site <laughs> and I was like, all right, it's a CMS, but it also has a framework for building things. And so I'd love to go through that. And then we can talk about a couple of other things just to get your insight on, on serverless. But let's start at the beginning. So why did you build Webany? Like what was the, you know, what was the thing that triggered that? So... I uh, I started researching like the serverless market in general. Uh, that was like late 2017, and uh, the more I dive deeper into the potential of serverless and serverless infrastructure, I kind of understood that serverless has such a big potential that actually it can become the standard how we are building all applications in the future. Essentially, like if you want to build an application five years from now, you're going to build it on serverless infrastructure. Serverless is going to become that standard. And at the same time, I looked at the market in terms of the solutions that are available today to help you do that. Well, there was nothing that I could use out of the box to help me build an application. There, there are tools to help you monitor and deploy serverless applications, but there are no tools to help you build, actually, a full-stack serverless application. So I saw a, a big opportunity there, but also at the same time, I had a, a web design development agency many years back where we were testing different CMSs and different solutions on building things. So. I, from that learning and that experience, I decided, okay, let's take that, let's take the serverless market, which is new and has great potential, let's build a solution uh, for that uh, for that market that also is open source at the same time, so it benefits the the, the whole ecosystem and the community as, as, as a whole. 
Yeah, and and uh, who who among us hasn't owned a web development company in the past? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I did for about twelve years, and um, and 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 honestly, it's it's funny because we built a CMS. I mean, CMSs were this was before WordPress, right? So I mean, you know, WordPress comes along and it changes a bunch of things. Um, but one thing that was always a pain for me, and I know we can get into this as, as part of what the, the the tool offers, um, but was things like building forms. Like if I had to build one more HTML form um, at my web development company, I mean, I was ready to, you know, just, I don't know, go stick my head in a closet or something like that, because it was just, it is so tedious, it's so repetitive. And that's one of the things I think we've done really well, or we've done a good job of is we've abstracted away a lot of these things and, and tried to make it so that um, you know where uh, we make the 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 undifferentiated heavy lifting much easier. Um, but a big part of that, and this is something that always scared me every time you build a new project, it's less about the interface. It's less about you know maybe the back end. Um, it's a lot about the data, right? Like we want to make sure that our data is secure, that our data is backed up, um, and and. So I'd love to just talk about the, the data model that you have built into Webany because again, it supports a bunch of different things. Um, but could you explain that? Yeah, so, uh, well, just handling data in a serverless environment comes with its uh, with its own challenges. Uh, we found that really early on. Uh, so we decided to go with uh, MongoDB, particularly MongoDB Atlas to store the data. But how you actually uh, talk to a MongoDB database from a Lambda function is uh, it's not the best uh, today. Like if you don't use some specialized solutions, but you also found a similar similar problem with MySQL. That's why you created the MySQL uh, library to help you do that. But essentially, like what we did with Webany, we we have this notion of multi-cloud in, in, in our minds, and we didn't want to get locked into specific databases. Uh, and we built a data library, a library that handles how we talk to databases and how we model the data models actually inside Webany. And that library is also open source. It's called Komodo. And through Komodo, we built pretty much all the data models that you see in Webany today in all our applications. And the beauty is that with Komodo, on the other side, you have these adapters uh, for MongoDB. We also have an adapter for MySQL that's not published there, but we're planning on also building an adapter for DynamoDB and things like that. So we had to kind of also put some constraints on the data model. We didn't want to make it fully NoSQL because we also want to support SQL in the future. So we put some constraints there, uh, but Komodo is kind of lifting all, off all the complexities there for us as a user. And on the other side, what we found is another challenge with handling pretty much TCP connections towards the database. So we built, like if you look at our architecture, we built something called the database proxy, essentially a Lambda function to which all our Lambda functions talk to, and only that Lambda function has the actual connections to the database, like a funnel. So you can kind of right. limit how many, how many connections you send to the actual database, reducing the number of zombie connections and so on. Some databases have really, really like smart abilities so you can programmatically tell it, kill this connection or open another connection. But MongoDB doesn't have that, so it's pretty much kind of uh, just having that funnel really low uh, and and then queuing up all the requests there. So, uh, but yeah, the data model has been a challenging topic for us. Uh, there was a lot of iteration and a lot of work we did in WebBD, but now we've got it into a place where we are certain you can build like really big business applications with it and it's going to handle any type of uh, use case. 
Right. And then the other piece of it is the access to the data. So you mentioned, you know, that proxy that you've built, but in order to get that data back down to the website components or to interact with it in the admin, that's all built with GraphQL? Yes. So everything's done via GraphQL and there's a bunch of scopes. You can pretty much control who can access what, which, which service can talk to what. Uh, also, when you create users, there's like uh, hundreds of different scopes and settings you can control in terms of securing your data and what you want to expose and so on. Uh, I mean, Apollo Apollo server helps greatly there, but you still need to put quite a lot of logic in front of it. Uh, and also, like, if you look at our architecture, it's all microservices with then a central Apollo server through which everything goes to. So there was some also engineering there. How do you connect everything? How do you deploy everything? When you deploy something, how do you update the Apollo server? But uh, again, like, this is something that Webinar just handles for you under the, the hood. And uh, if you just putting a new microservice, the Apollo server will know about it and it will just uh, update your schema and the new scopes will automatically be visible to you in the admin section under the security uh, under the security module. Right. And so the other thing, another choice that was made was to use React um, and not just on the back end, but also um, the ability to deploy these as components on the front end. And I want to get into that deeper, but just what are what are some of the basic reasons for choosing React? Uh, well, when we, the, the, the whole story when we decided actually to take a step back, when we decided to build Webany, it was like, what stack will do we want to use, right? So we then looked at the market, looked at the market surveys, what are the trending uh, technologies people use, trending stacks and libraries, right? Because uh, we wanted to, to kind of tap into an existing ecosystem of developers, but also make it easier for the majority of the market to adopt Webany without having a really steep learning curve. And we found React being one of those libraries that a lot of people and companies and organizations were adapting. Uh, so we just figured, okay, that's kind of a, a, a direction we want to go with. And um, when we did adopt React, when we started learning it, it, it was a really pleasant experience, what I want to say. But also, like some people asked me, hey, can I use Vue or Angular or other bits uh, with, with Webin? Even like, hey, can I build a, an interface in Python for Webin? And it, the answer is yes, you can. Because how we architected Webin is we've got these notion of stacks. We have an API stack that holds all your backend logic done in Node, fine. But then the app stack uh, is done in React. And you can replace our app stack with yours. And then you can code the interface in any uh, language or stack you want and hook into the existing GraphQL API endpoint, essentially. Awesome. All right. Well, so let's get into the CMS part of this because I think when you originally built this, this seemed like that was the um, you know that was the original intent. I know it's grown beyond that, which is awesome. Um, but let's talk about the CMS. So there are a couple different components. Let's start with the admin. Yeah. Yeah. So we started with with the CMS uh, because that's the, the area we knew the best. Uh, and the admin is kind of the the core of it. So when you install Webany, you get this what we call an admin app. It's a whole user interface uh, where where you can expand it. It has a mod menu. It has it comes with like bunch of ready made components, and you can everything that you see on the screen in the admin side is expandable. You can change the logo. You can brand it, white label it, do anything you want. But it's essentially uh, a starting point if you want to build a new app you would just add a new plugin to register your uh, new app with the with the menu in the admin side and then admin when you click it admin will do the routing and everything but it's essentially the core through which you build then all other apps and then hook them in 
right? And then you have the standard uh, serverless use case of taking images and converting them and that sort of stuff. And that's all through the file manager. Yes. So file manager comes as a built-in module uh, together with the admin app and uh, like handling files. We, we thought it's, oh, you just place an S3 bucket uh, and then uh, it works. So it doesn't. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you look at the architecture of just the file service, uh, it's even more complex than the API and the front end together. Uh, so it, essentially, we had to build a whole solution on the back end and the front end side, and that solution is called the file manager. But essentially, like when you upload files into Webany, we do this uh, post token, uh, post data token exchange with S3, so that you don't upload files through a Lambda function, but upload them directly to to an S3 bucket, and that bucket is private. Uh, only that token allows you. But also, like when you request the token, it goes through our security module, ensuring that you have the right to request the token, so you can upload the file. Files. When you upload a file, we detect if it's an image. If it is, then we have separate Lambda functions that create thumbnails out of it or any other dimensions you want. There's also some DDoS protection behind that uh, in, in place. And also, like when you delete a file, there's a trigger that invokes other Lambdas to clean up all the, all the stuff mm -hmm. there. So the, yes, there's a lot of stuff behind it, <laughs> as you can hear. Right. But uh, the the beauty is that we build a solution, and like if you upload one image, it works great. If you upload ten thousand images, it still works great, or even hundred thousand. Right. So it scales, and that's the beauty that serverless brings. So yeah, and that's all stuff. By the way, you do not want to build yourself. I have I've built little file upload managers and things, not you know for. Um, you know, not for commercial use or not for like to share with other people, but just for my own internal projects and things I was working on. Um, and that process of connecting Lambda functions and doing all that post-processing and all that, it's straightforward, but it is not easy. So it is yeah. definitely something that you can get wrong. So that's great that that's built. Um, all right. So then another thing you have uh, is a uh, page builder. What can you do with that? So a page builder actually... Uh, it's a simple drag and drop page builder for building landing pages. But the, the cool thing is that the, the stuff that you drag and drop are not static HTML widgets, but actually full-blown mm -hmm. React components. And it's all pluginable. So technically, you can build a React component that holds your business logic, and you can drag it and drop it, and it's going to get rendered, and that business logic is going to work. But also, like when you publish pages with the page builder, uh, they go through a server-side render. A snapshot gets created. That snapshot gets automatically pre-populated onto the CDN. And when a user visits that page, it uh, doesn't hit a Lambda function, but actually gets served off a CDN. But in the background, what we then do is we rehydrate uh, the application, meaning we asynchronously load all the JavaScript and then do mm -hmm. the dirty checks if the page has been changed or not via an API call that goes through a Lambda function. But that's all in the background. It doesn't slow the first paint time. It doesn't slow the user experience and so on. So although the page builder might seem like, hey, you can build landing pages with it, it is a really powerful tool. You can build the dashboards, business logic with it, and so on. So uh, yeah, essentially, like it's a, a a piece of really powerful technology there. So right, and that does server side rendering, right? Yes. So every time you publish a page, uh, we do the server side rendering for you. That's a separate Lambda function, separate user flow. That it happens all all in the background. It's not server side rendered on demand. But when you publish a page, we you use the server side render to create that snapshot. Uh, because if you would do it on demand, 
then you might have bigger cold starts because the Lambda function that does server-side rendering has a lot of stuff in it. Uh, so you never want to do it in the in the main thread, in the in the main user flow. You want to kind of have snapshots stored on S3 or in the database in case of webinar and just pull it really fast there and populate it onto the CDN. So yeah, love that. That's awesome. All right. So then the other thing is this form builder. And I love this because I mean, even when like, uh, what was the the name of that form company? There was a couple of those places that just gave you simple, you know, drag and drop forms, things like that. But it was always kind of a pain because again, you're plugging it in and you're trying to do form validation and some of these other things. Um, but you've got a very cool form builder. And I know every time I have to build the form now, I just I, I just go find something else to do because I don't want to build the form, but this makes it super easy. And, uh, yeah, so like you said earlier, building forms is something nobody wants to do. Uh, so we wanted to make sure this is kind of the, the ultimate solution and we never have to build another form again. Uh, but essentially, yes, with a form builder, you drag and drop uh, uh, fields. Uh, you can select the field types and stuff like that. But then we also got really powerful validation features, uh, set patterns, pre-made patterns, custom patterns, and stuff like that. Uh, but also at, at the same time, how you're building, uh, dragging and dropping fields, you also can uh, control rows and columns. So you have also how the layout's going to look like. It's all fully mobile, uh, mobile responsive. That what you get at the end. And then you also provide you with a set of triggers, webhooks. Uh, then you can also there's a mode there's a plugin for recapture uh, there's a plugin for accepting terms of service and, and stuff like that so we really wanted to kind of build a solution that works well and then finally mm -hmm. like there's also GraphQL API in, through which you can pull the data off Webinary from all submissions so you don't need to kind of export them manually also you can export them manually but you can have a programmatic access to who submitted the form and then do additional processing uh, if it need be. Yeah, that saves you so much time. It's crazy. All right, so then the other thing you just launched was a headless CMS, which is pretty cool. Uh, yes, so that's uh, the last product that we just launched. As you can see, we have a lot of products. <laughs> uh, and they're all open source, which is a cool thing. And they, they can be combined together. You can take the headless CMS and build a Gatsby site, right? But then you can also take the form builder and render the form inside Gatsby, right? Uh, they can be combined together. But the, 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 the headless CMS is one that, first of all, it allows you to model your content like any other headless CMS. Uh, but it also has multi-language support support for multiple environments uh, it supports aliases so like if you switch from production or version one to version two you don't need to change anything on the client that the switch is done on the back end in webinar and if you need to roll back it's instantaneous uh, and things like that and it's all done again on top of like serverless infrastructure so it scales really really well and if there's no if you're not building anything and you're not sending any requests to the headless cms well your cost is zero there's nothing that you need to pay for uh, but it's got all the features that you can expect from a, from a, your typical headless cms Right. So another thing that is super important to everybody or should be super important to everyone is security. Um, and that's another thing that this platform just has completely baked in. Yes. So security comes in like many flavors on, on, in, in, in Webinar, but also like what we found is, especially when it comes to enterprise clients, they want to bring part of the security that they already have for example a lot of a lot of enterprises they they're locked in in their user identity providers like okta active directory things like that so when they uh, 
when they take on a new solution, right, that solution has to work with their uh, existing uh, security user pool providers and so on. Right. So when we designed our security layer, we had that in mind. So out of the box, uh, when you install Webinary, Webinary creates a user pool using AWS Cognito. That's the default behavior. If you have an existing Cognito pool, you can use that as well. But you can also bring in something like Okta or Active Directory, as I mentioned. It's just a matter of fact of writing uh, one or two small plugins and say, hey, my users are actually located there. And then Webinary will automatically talk to that process, to that API, see if the user with the same email exists. If it does, it's going to do the token exchange, do the uh, uh, JWT token as well, and then pull all the roles and permissions from in, within Webany. But if that user leaves your company, you deactivate the user in that user pool, and Webany will automatically deny him access. So that's kind of your starting point from the security. And then, like from that point, it's our like standard ACL with all the scopes, access to the API, and everything. That that's kind of right. And you can use those you can use those uh, identity pools, and you can mix and match for doing things like backend access to the admin if people want to you know do page management or if you build other types of interfaces there. Um, but then you could also use it on the front end, like if you want to do like an intranet or maybe like a, a you know a permission based or you know SaaS so that people can log into or something like that as well, right? Exactly that. So we just had like a, a, a big enterprise that adopted Webinary for their enterprise internet solution. And uh, of course, they want to protect the public site uh, from the actual internet, only that employees can access it from within. And they are looking to do that with, with Okta, actually putting Okta in front of uh, in front of the the. the they're using the page builder, so in front of the page builder pages, and they can do that. So uh, if a user accesses, uh, it doesn't have a single sign-on token, uh, it will deny him access there. So uh, it's like everything you see in Webin is either a plugin or a module, and you can, as you said, mix and match and combine things to work in, in any way you want. So. Right. Yeah, so speaking of plugins, I mean, that's um, an important piece of projects like this or, or, or uh, products like this is the ability for it to be extensible, right? And so, I mean, you can plug in all these different, you know, uh, security providers and you have some of these internal or these other things like the form builder and, and some of these other plugins. Um, but what about like more of a general plugin system? I mean, something like a WordPress plugin system, is that something that uh, uh, is happening with Webany? Yes, so it's a good question. Uh, it's definitely happening. It's in 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 plan uh, to have a plugin repository that other people can contribute, fully open and free. And uh, we we want to build essentially a community around the the whole product. And having a plugin repository is really uh, important for us. Uh, we just haven't gotten to that stage that we we have resources to invest in that area, but it's coming soon. Uh, and at the moment, like if you want to expand Webinary with plugins, we already have a documentation for that. So later on, once you've built those plugins, we've built the, the plugin repository, you can publish them there. And we also want to give exposure to people. If you've contributed a plugin, when you click on it, it's going to go to your site, to you, so uh, that we also help our contributors get extra visibility there. Right. And you already have a couple of plugins. Like I, I know you have the Google Tag Manager one, I think Facebook integrations, things like that. Yes. Uh, so we got a couple of plugins already. Uh, 
the Google Tag Manager that you mentioned, so you can embed third-party scripts into Webany. But we also have like a Mailchimp subscribe form. Like in the page builder, you can just drag and drop your Mailchimp subscribe form. We're gonna ask you for your Mailchimp API key. Then you're gonna select the form, and it's gonna be rendered there. Uh, we also have the reCAPTCHA uh, plugin for the form right. builder and things like that. And like if you look at the source codes, which is all public on our GitHub for those plugins, it's the identical way how you would build any any plugin. Uh, that's like you need for your site. Awesome. All right. So moving beyond the CMS piece of this, because again, I think, you know, when, whenever I see Webany, I just see like Webany CMS. Like that's what I think of. Um, <laughs> it's a serverless CMS, which is awesome. But you have the serverless web development framework. Explain what that is. So you can call it a bad copy on our side in marketing webinars is too much of a serverless CMS, but essentially like, we, we, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we, we, we were worried, just to explain the backstory here, we were worried if having a serverless development framework would be too abstract for people. Uh, having a saying a serverless CMS is something that it's much easier to wrap your head around and already picture what you can do with it. But mm -hmm. actually what Webinar as a product is, it, it is that for framework for building uh, applications. And actually our page builder, headless CMS, they're all just like example apps, what you can do with our serverless web development framework. And that is the, the serverless web development framework is actually our core product. So that is essentially the, the, the bit that you take as a foundation for building any type of a serverless web application. And that foundation solves many of the serverless challenges and pitfalls, like managing files, like security, uh, like handling database connections. So that is the, what is in that framework. But also that framework gives you a, a really good structure for your project, regardless if you have a small project or a really big project, it works both mm -hmm. ways. And that framework also handles the deployments, the creation of uh, serverless resources, uh, the state files, uh, it has a CLI to bootstrap projects. So that is essentially like the, the core of Webany. You install the framework, you can pretty much start your project right away, focusing on the business logic. You don't need to kind of do many configuration and bootstrapping stuff around it. Right. And that's all the stuff that you likely do not want to do anyways. It's just going to slow you down. Exactly. Every time I start a new, every time I start a new project, I just am like, all right, I know I have some, you know, sort of bootstrap templates here and I can, and do some of this, but, um, but yeah, that, that's amazing. So this, that, that is, you know, the, again, similar to the CMS portion of this, it uses React UI components. You can build your own. Um, you can, uh, you know, you've got like a, that login component, right? It just drag and drop. And now you've got that login that ties into all those other things. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that is just, that, that it's just a very cool, very cool tool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It took us a lot of time to actually build it. Uh, but uh, like also when people approach this is they think, oh, I can do this by myself. Uh, sure, you can, but do not underestimate the challenges and pitfalls right. that come with serverless. It is right. so, so, so hard to get some of those components right. Uh, it took us over like uh, a year and a half to get some of those things right. Right. They might seem yeah. trivial, but they are not but also they like what not. people think is especially like developers within organizations they they build a serverless solution on their own right but suddenly now the organization wants to do many more serverless projects so how do you scale the knowledge 
right? right? How, how do you kind of do many different teams with many different projects that all run on serverless? Unless you have a solution that has documentation that is proven uh, that it can scale, it's like right. it's not going to work. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the pain we want to solve. And I totally agree. I mean, that's one of those things that if you can certainly build this out yourself and you can go through that process and spend all that time and learn all that stuff. But if you don't document that learning and and understand why, you know, X works better than Y or whatever it is, uh, if you don't do that, then you're right. Passing that knowledge on to somebody else is really, really, really hard. So having that all encapsulated in one project um, where, again, you can divert from that, too. Like if you have to kind of, you know, eject and go a different way or whatever, like there's still a lot of uh, capabilities in there. But um, but yeah, no, I think that's uh, I think that's hugely important. And the other thing I'll just say is. Uh, proof of concepts or, you know, a proof of concept in serverless is typically very easy to create. And, and in most cases, depending on the complexity, that'll just scale, right? Which is one of the nice things about serverless. Um, but it might not be the most efficient way to do it. It might not be, you know, the, the smartest way to do it, the most secure way to do it or whatever. Um, so again, having those best practices baked in and, and sort of done for you is amazing. And, and, and like you touched on a really good point. I think like that easiness of serverless is one of its greatest uh, virtues, but also one of its greatest uh, pitfalls, right? Uh, so uh, like you don't get uh, a problem right away. You don't see it now, but the moment there's more pieces to it. Suddenly, like uh, now, I have to refactor a microservices application. That's humongous. Uh, it's like you don't you don't yeah, want exactly. to get tangled in that. Yeah. Hi everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Amazon Web Services, and tell you about the new Amazon RDS Proxy service. Amazon RDS Proxy is a fully managed, highly available database proxy that allows applications to pool and share database connections, improving database efficiency, application scalability, and security. RDS Proxy is now generally available and can be enabled for both MySQL and PostgreSQL workloads through either the Amazon RDS or AWS Lambda consoles. So if you have serverless workloads with high concurrency requirements and your Lambda functions keep exhausting those database connections, then you have to check out Amazon RDS Proxy at aws.amazon.com slash RDS slash proxy. All right, so I want to move on to multi-cloud because that is something that um, you know that the the website for Webinee talks about um, and the ability to deploy to multiple clouds. So, what is the what is the multiple or multi-cloud support like in Webinee right now? Yeah, so uh, today, like Webinee, only you can only deploy to AWS, and, and that's intentional. Uh, but what we when we started building Webinee, we had this requirement of multi-cloud from the beginning, uh, but we didn't want to kind of make it available to all cloud providers uh, at the same time. Uh, but what we did, we built these abstraction layers towards cloud providers. Uh, but behind those abstraction layers, for each cloud provider, you would need to kind of build a driver for it, let's say it like that. Mm -hmm. But we only build the drivers for AWS now. But if you want to move to GCP or Azure or somebody else, we can just add additional drivers. The actual core code doesn't need to change. So the multi-cloud support is built in, but without the deployment drivers for other clouds at the moment, purely because having those deployment drivers takes a lot of effort and we figured okay mm -hmm. let's go with aws it solves it, it holds 75 percent of the market today so that's where the biggest user base is uh, let's get it running there and then if we see a lot of requests or ask for 
I don't know, Azure, for example, then we're going to focus yeah. on it. But until we see that need, we will kind of just let the community to, to decide on it and we will waste our effort to where the community tells us they need us now. So it's just kind of uh, right. the, the, that, the, that strain of thought. But also like why we are approaching multi-cloud is it, it's slightly from a different angle. Um, it's not about resiliency or technology or things like that. Um, I've worked in an enterprise and I've learned that at the end of the day, who you're going to choose is all about money, right? Uh, right. But often like how, for example, you start using AWS today and your bill is $100, but if your business grows, you might pay $100,000 to AWS and suddenly you want to move away. But you can't, you're super sticky uh, because you didn't have those abstraction layers, right? But the, the other thing you can do is try to negotiate your pricing with AWS, which unless you do, can't move away, they, they won't, won't butt, right? But if you have that possibility to move away, suddenly your business has a leverage to negotiate. And some businesses pay millions, if not billions, to AWS. Uh, and that the, having that opportunity to do multi-cloud is, is really, really important. Yeah. No, I, I, I tend to think that I love to believe that the negotiation and the leverage of of having a huge AWS bill would be helpful. But I, there was just that recent article that was sort of about you know e, you know you, you get companies like Dropbox moving off of AWS because you know the bill's too high or whatever, and and maybe you know AWS loses a hundred million dollars from a giant customer um, for a four billion dollar run rate or whatever it is. You know it's a small it's a small fraction of that. I, I do agree with you though that I think that having the flexibility. Um, if you're not compromising the underlying services is, yeah. is hugely important because you don't want that lowest common denominator. Um, you know, so, so if you did want though to, to do, you know, let's say I, I am on Azure and I say, you know what, I really want to use this web in the, um, uh, CMS. Can I, I mean, there's like hooks in there, right? Like, aren't there like hooks? Like I could build that in. I mean, it'd be a lot of work, but I could build that in um, and be able to connect to those other things because of the way that this is architected. Exactly that. So you can you can literally hook in into any any uh, part of WebNE, but also like uh, if you look at just how the AWS components for deployment are done, it's pretty much just using the nat native SDK. So yeah. if you want to not use... AWS Lambda, but to deploy it to the Azure functions, you would just write a small adapter that creates those resources uh, at the same way. But also like uh, WebNE doesn't kind of lock you in, even if you do use AWS, uh, if you have certain services from Azure, you can combine stuff, right? You have right. access to the code, you have access to the deployment uh, hooks, uh, you, can, you can pretty much customize it to fit any needs. So. Yeah, so another question about multi-cloud, um, because I think if you're paying $100 a month to AWS, that if you're thinking to yourself, oh, this could get expensive. I mean, you know, I really should be thinking about trying to, you know, to be cloud agnostic or some way in which I can move things around. Um, your thoughts, should small businesses, startups, things like that, should they really be thinking about multi-cloud at this point? Uh, not at all. So that is a concern for what I would say for enterprises and larger organizations. If you're small, uh, I mean, start with, with with being sticky. That's fine because your priorities are about building your business, not controlling the cloud cost, I would say. Uh, but 
be wary that controlling the cloud cost will come at one point, right? But don't let it constrain you in the beginning, especially potentially to constrain your uh, iteration cycles, making them slower right. because you're suddenly working on multi-cloud while you not don't need it, right? Uh, so at this scale, at a small scale, don't don't waste your time there. Uh, but have it in mind if you plan to go big at one point. So, but only invest those resources once you have those resources, and that is a priority. Right, and I would say if you're building a serverless application and it gets to the point where that gets to be really, really expensive, um, you're probably doing something right there. So, uh, you know, hiring a few extra engineers if you need to start diversifying clouds uh, probably wouldn't be that difficult um, yep. at that point. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I want to talk to you, though, uh, about this idea of like just why serverless, right? So let's let's say I'm a, you know, the a regular everyday person and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to build something for um, a client or I'm trying to build something for myself. You know, why not just WordPress on WP Engine or something like that? Like why? What, what's the underlying benefit to building my site or my service on on uh, on serverless, even if, you know, even if I'm not expecting a ton of traffic, maybe? I mean, the how I how I see it. First of all, like building on serverless uh, might might seem slightly complex at one point comparing to VP Engine because it's two mouse clicks, right? But mm -hmm. the thing is, like with serverless, uh, first of all, your cost is way more efficient. If your service is not having any traffic, why should you pay for it? You, you with serverless, you will essentially stop paying for stuff you don't use, right? Uh, it's an important thing for especially small businesses, right? Being efficient at how they spend their money. But also, like imagine your your site suddenly gets on the front page of Hacker News. Uh, by the way, we were with Webinar on the front page of Hacker News, and that sends a ton of traffic, right? And it's a mm -hmm. it's it's a really big spike, right? And that is when you need your servers or whatever you're running on the most, right? You do not want to go down when you have 50,000 eyeballs on you, right? That's when you want to deliver. And that's where VP Engine and others will will fail short on you, right? They won't scale to those demands, uh, while serverless doesn't care about it. It just works, right? right? Of course, be prepared for uh, a bill shock, but <laughs> hopefully it's going to be worth it for you, so. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, if you you think about something like digital ocean, for example, I mean, it's it's very easy now, like they've got these engines in place where, you know, you just go on and say, oh, I want to create a WordPress site and you click a couple of buttons and, you know, and it's magically there. But Webinar is getting pretty close to that, right? Uh, yeah. So at, at this stage, Webinar requires you kind of put in API credentials for AWS, connect the database in one command, deploys and creates all the resources. Uh, but we are also preparing uh, uh, another uh, offering, which is gonna be one of our commercial offerings, where essentially you're gonna get those two buttons and you're gonna have yeah. a Webinary site deployed to your AWS cloud. So we won't be hosting anything, but we will be providing a user interface to uh, make it really easy for you to deploy Webinary sites, have multiple environments, multiple projects, uh, everything like uh, with just kind of mouse clicks, make it super, super easy. Because no matter how advanced a certain technology is, if it doesn't get to that level that it's really easy for even non-developers at one point, uh, because a lot of people ask us, hey, I, I really love your page builder, but I'm not a developer. With WordPress, it's just two mouse clicks. 
Right. Yeah, uh, serverless serverless is not there today, right? But with WebAnny, we're maybe one step behind that. Uh, right. We're going to be there pretty, pretty soon. So, and hopefully that the serverless market will kind of benefit from that and the adoption will also grow. Right. So the other thing that I'd love for you, you know, sort of get your input on or your perspective is I often see arguments saying, oh, serverless is great for spiky workloads, right? But if you don't have spiky workloads, you know, and you have steady traffic, you know, that's just easier to put it on a VM or something like that. Um, but I always find that, you know, serverless has benefits whether you're a small business or you're a huge enterprise, like what what are your thoughts on that? Um, so what what I'm seeing is so when you're a small business, it, it's the the cost of infrastructure that really matters to you because it's really mm -hmm. efficient. You don't pay if you're not using it. But for the big guys, it, it's it's a combination of factors. Um, and sure, your bill might be slightly higher in some cases running on serverless. Uh, the cost of infrastructure, but the cost of managing infrastructure will go way down. You will have to hire less people or the people you have will have to spend less hours working there. But also what that does, it releases a big chunk of the budget or resources or man hours that you can now focus on product iterations. So your product can grow faster. And if your product grows faster, you can out-innovate potentially your competitors, which can't afford that same level of innovation, right? So what I see with enterprises is that they see serverless as a competitive advantage, and that's why they're moving to serverless. Although like you see all the blog posts about cost savings and stuff like that. Yes, that's true, but there's that agenda of outpacing my competitor, which serverless right. actually unlocks. And the moment you migrate to serverless, you can use that potential. All right. And then what about the big business? So what, what, what are the benefits for those those larger enterprises? Uh, essentially that is just like having more, having to spend less on managing that infrastructure. Uh, right. Sure, the infrastructure cost might be higher, but the cost of managing will be drastically lower uh, because there's way less things to manage than if you had a fleet of hundreds of thousands of servers or containers. Right. That all requires man hours. And you as an organization, you should strive towards autonomy, like putting the resources where they really matter. And managing servers, well, matters if you have to have them up and running. But if they suddenly go away, uh, you can focus on other bits. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's it's crazy to have all of these people who specialize in running data centers and building software for the data centers and managing that for you and then say, you know what, we're going to not let you do that. And we're going to have other people work on managing that and installing patches and trying to figure that stuff out. Um, I mean, just the, the amount of effort and time and energy that goes into that, just backing up databases, just having a DBA that does your database backups and, and optimizes the database and migrates data. It's just all taken care of for you if you choose the right tools. Exactly that. And uh, especially like I, I believe like the, the younger corporation, the, the younger businesses that are starting today and building their technology have a tremendous advantage because they have such a amount of brilliant tools in front of them that they just need to kind of piece together. And uh, starting like maybe five, 10 years back, it's just like networking, load balancers. It's like, just just for me, mentioning that, <laughs> I just like... <laughs> 
get depressed. Gives you flashbacks. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, I totally But not agree. a positive one. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you can only wrestle with security groups to uh, an RD essence and so many times oh. before you're just like, you know what? I, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk about this idea of, of who you're targeting, because I... This is something for me that was, I think, the first question I asked you when you, I think you and I were, you know, started chatting maybe a year ago or two years ago, whatever it was. And um, and I was like, well, who are you targeting with this? Because if you ask the average, you know, if you ask the average developer, they don't even know what serverless is, right? I mean, the, even the average cloud developer, they're like, what's serverless? Um, and again, it's probably not the best term. We know that. Uh, you ask somebody off the street, maybe some small business owner or um, you know, somebody who's like, oh, I'm going to start a little side business uh, and they want to create a website. I mean, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go for WordPress, right? So you know, who, who are you trying to target with this? And is this, uh, I guess maybe the question is, is this trying to be a competitor to WordPress, or is this is this taking a different angle? So, like, the, there's two answers to this question, and one one is that is about the short term mission and vision, and one is about the long term. Short term, like, yes, if I ask uh, many of the developers out there what serverless is, they will they won't know about it, right? Uh, and those users are not our target users. Uh, we are letting the big cloud providers educate the market about serverless and let them spend millions and millions, if not billions, on educating the market. But once the market is educated, that's when those users will start looking for ready-made serverless solutions, right? And that's where they're going to find Webany. So we're about we're at this stage, we're targeting developers that understand what serverless is. Uh, because educating them just take too much resources for us. But the moment uh, uh, an engineer or developer knows what serverless is and you show him Webany, he just gets super excited because he knows serverless comes with certain challenges. Webany, they just go out of the window and suddenly I unlock the potential of just writing business logic and all gets deployed into microservices and I don't care about how it all works under the hood, but I still utilize all the power of serverless. So. Those developers are some are people that we're talking to today, uh, but in the future, like like how I see the future in five or ten years, as I started, uh, as I said earlier in the session, is I see serverless as being the standard of how all web applications are built. Um, but like, don't get me wrong, the traditional servers won't go away, but they will be used for specialized purposes, machine learning mm -hmm. and things like that, right? Uh, but for anything that's event-driven, that uh, that runs on the web, uh, serverless shines there, right? So it it is you know like I see a clear future where serverless is that future, like where it's the standard of how we build the web, right? But that standard uh, is not it's not enough to solve it on the infrastructure and orchestration layer, right? You have to solve it also on the application layer because people mm -hmm. are after when they say I want to build a server solution, they're up to, they're thinking in their heads the application layer, right? Uh, and that's where we with Webinary come in. We're providing the tools on the application layer to help them build their business logic. Uh, and de facto, like a CMS is one of those tools out of the box, but they can innovate other tools. But if you think about WordPress for a second, WordPress powers 34% of the internet, maybe even more at this stage. And there's two reasons for that. One is they made it super easy uh, to install and run. 
and integrate with many other systems. Uh, but secondly, WordPress, although like a lot of people perceive it as a blogging platform, if you open their documentation, it's right. going to be clear it's not a blogging platform. It is a foundation for building applications. But those applications run only on, on virtual machines and those traditional architectures. With Webinee, we want to be something like that, that foundation, but for the serverless world, for when the serverless is that standard. So what will we replace WordPress? Uh, I would like to do that, but uh, <laughs> I think that's like a mission for next 30, 40, 50 years, because uh, <laughs> Matt did an amazing job with WordPress. Uh, but the market is going to change, because if you think about it, the Nokia phone, Everybody thought that that's never going to go away, right? And then I mean, smart... Snake playing Snake on your Nokia phone was amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the graphics were intense. That was so, <laughs> it looked so real, right? Uh, and like that is the perception of the virtual servers and containers today, right? And then serverless is that smartphone, right? Uh, it's going to have a slightly longer adoption curve, but that's how right. I see the market. That's how I see this evolution coming. Yeah, and I think it would be. Um, I, I think we'll see even sites like Wix and um, you know GoDaddy's. Uh, I think they use uh, maybe they use WordPress, but WordPress and other platforms like that starting to migrate to more serverless technologies uh, on the back end anyway. So I think that's great because if Webinee can help influence that right and set those standards and 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 help uh, you know, sort of drive that ecosystem, I think that um, is absolutely amazing. So um, all right, I have two questions for you from our serverless chats in. Insiders. So this is a new thing we're doing. Um, so I'm going to throw these at you. They're pretty easy. They're, they're softball questions for you. <laughs> but um, if anybody wants to ask questions, join the Serverless Insiders uh, email list and, um, and you can ask questions. So the first question is from Michael. And they said on your website, uh, you say that MongoDB is serverless as long as you don't have to manage it yourself. Um, and they said they haven't fully defined the term yet. I don't think anybody has or try to. Um, and they're curious, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, where you would draw the line, you know, is it is, would you consider a COBOL mainframe to be serverless if somebody else is managing for it, uh, managing it for you? Uh, so what I, how I perceive serverless is if there's a service I'm consuming and I don't need to worry about servers, patches, networking, if I, I if I, if, if I'm locked out of the thing that the service runs on, but I can only interface with the service via an API. That's that's serverless for for me, right? Uh, and what I what we say on our website is it's specifically targeted for MongoDB Atlas. So that is the cloud offering that MongoDB has. And right. there it's like a mouse click. Uh, I need a Mongo database. That is, I need the Mongo cluster deployed to this region, and they manage everything. They update my MongoDB. Uh, they scale it because it has an auto-scale function. I don't need to do any load balancers, any any networking stuff there. Uh, I don't like backups are just uh, one checkbox. So like it's it, essence. Like if you look at MongoDB Atlas and if you look at Aurora Serverless, it's not very different, right? And this right. one has even serverless in the name. So <laughs> uh, right. as long as you don't worry about the servers uh, and the all the bits that connect to that, uh, that's how I perceive uh, serverless. Right. And I've been trying to, to define serverless for many, many years, and I have not <laughs> come to it either. So don't worry about it, Michael. None of us know what it is. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So another question, this one's from Mark, uh, and I, you kind of addressed this in the beginning, but when do you think Webany will fully support DynamoDB as a data store? Uh, so we get that question asked a lot. Uh, so we would like to have DynamoDB, and it, it is one of the 
items really high up on our priority list. Uh, we're looking at it, we're working on it. The, the challenge with DynamoDB is that although they say they're a NoSQL database, they are so different than a NoSQL database. <laughs> it is like a third category. <laughs> like you have SQL, NoSQL, and then you have DynamoDB. Right. P purely because they're, they're so different, uh, we have to work around some of the, its quirks uh, and challenges. And we're working on it. Uh, we're hoping to get DynamoDB support sometime this year because uh, a lot of users have asked for it. And we personally also would like to use it. So stay tuned. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And then he had one follow-up question as well. Uh, and that was about the business model for Webany. And you had mentioned, you know, uh, some sort of uh, business where you would launch, you would, you'd be able to deploy it for people. Um, but the question sort of says, you know, because serverless is so cheap to host yourself, right? Do you think that there's any way that there could be like a managed hosting service that you provided that would, would be profitable? So uh, it, it would be really hard to do a managed, uh, profitable managed hosting service there. Because if you look at, uh, for example, Netlify, there right. are managed AWS hosting service. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but they are. Uh, and uh, like, I, I don't see us going in that direction. So what we are providing is what we're going to probably call, it's not yet a full name yet, but we call it for now Webinar Control Panel. Essentially, mm -hmm. uh, you would hook in your uh, AWS uh, API user. And that that interface would be one-click deployment of Webany, but to your own AWS cloud. Uh, so you can kind of uh, create 20 different Webany projects. And there's going to be like reporting, monitoring, audit logs, and a bunch of features in there that complement uh, to the features you have in AWS, but simplify it and scope it to your Webany project. Because the problem with AWS is, hey, this region has costed you 500 bucks. Yeah, but yeah. what is the cost per project? Good luck finding that out, right? So that's right. what we're going to be providing with this commercial offering. And it's going to also have a free tier and uh, there's going to be a really cheap tier and a bit more expensive tiers for more enterprise business users. So, but, uh, and I understand the background of this question. A lot of people approach us, hey, you're just open source giving everything for free. You're going to go bankrupt in three months. Uh, we have a plan, people. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's good to know. Well, that's awesome. So, Sven, thank you so much for uh, you know for building Webany and for everybody that's contributing to that project. Uh, I, that I, I think this is this is the right direction that we're going. Trying to abstract that away, get to a point where it's just more approachable, and like you said, thinking at that application level. Uh, level. So, again, thank you for that. If people want to find out more about Webany um, or you know be, you know contact you, find out more about you, how do they do that? Uh, so. You can find everything about Webinar on our website, webinar.com, uh, and on our GitHub, which is also github.com slash Um And you can contact us on Twitter under Webinar platform. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, swen at webinar.com is my email, uh, and you can find me under Sven Alhamad at, uh, at Twitter. And again, I also want to kind of thank you, Jeremy. Uh, for having me as a guest here. It was a pleasure. Uh, and I also want to give a shout out to the whole Webinar community. Uh, that is kind of what keeps us going and why we're putting all this effort because we really love our community and our community helps us grow as, at the same time. Awesome. All right. Well, we will get all of that contact information to the show notes. Thanks again, Sven. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, everyone.
And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Sven Al Hamad for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, Amazon Web Services. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 57. For more serverless chats, subscribe, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you'd like to submit questions to our guests, suggest episode topics, and win some free swag, sign up to be a Serverless Chats Insider at serverlesschats.com slash insiders. Connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.